Are you gay? Geeky? Just enjoy hearing your good Judy's dish about the latest in pop culture? Well, then you're in luck. The boys of Flame On are here for you. In every episode, we discuss the topics that entrance us. Whether it's comics, TV, movies, drag queens, or video games, we've got you covered. So, if you're ready for your gay and geeky slice of pop culture life, then sit back and get ready to Flame On! Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The following program, Flame On, is presented by the Nerdy Show Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by a comic shop. Orlando's number one comic and nerd destination, where you can see me probably crying in a corner, and with generous support from listeners like you. To learn how you can support other fine, geeky programming, visit nerdyshow.com. Welcome to Flame On. My name is Pat. I'm the Talking Bearskin Rug. I am here with Brian. Hello. And we have a very special guest we're doing an interview with today. He was one of the headliners for Funny for Money, a Pulse benefit comedy show here at the Parliament House last night when we were recording. You may know him from such things as Craigslist, <laughs> the bathroom wall at your local gay bar, or True TV, the Smoking Gun slash True TV's world's dumbest and my favorite, world's smartest inventions. Oh, we did love those. Those yeah. were fantastic. Those were great. We are joined by Mr. Brad Locally. What's up, Brad? Nothing much, guys. How are you? Oh, fantastic. <laughs> Wonderful. Enjoying this lovely... A, yeah, beautiful, humid, uh, rainy, lightning-y, Floridian day. Exactly. It's how... It's how June in Florida is. And by June, I mean April through yeah. like... All months that have the letter E in them. Yep. <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> Until we get into like October, November, December, and then it's like, hey. Then, yeah, then it's lovely down here. Then, then it's, it's like, all right, we're okay. And then My mother we... lives in Miami. Well, she has a place in Miami, and she comes down on the weekends and whatnot. And uh, yeah, the winter, this is already the time of year where she's like, meh, I probably won't be seeing the condo. <laughs> Until the fall. This is actually your third time back here in Orlando in uh, in a few months. In a very short period of time, yeah. My first show ever in Orlando and at Parliament House was in March. 
which was hysterical. Which Brian was, and I were both so amazing. Fun. Oh, thank you. Um, I had a great time. And then that was a planned one. And then actually last night was planned, but obviously not initially as a benefit. Last yes. night was uh, going to be me and Julie Goldman, uh, who was with us last night, uh, just performing kind of a double header because she and I go out on the road together a reasonable amount because we have a lot of fun together. And then there's a lesbian and a gay. So, you know, you're, you're, it's twice the uh, gay for the same price. <laughs> So, uh, and but then I ended up being here at Gay Days very unexpectedly because a, a fan of mine was celebrating his birthday at Gay Days, and so asked for a command performance. So, which is awesome. When the check clears, <laughs> uh, I show up. I have. I will show up at your wedding, your funeral, your your bris. I like that idea. Your whatever you want. I'm gonna write that into my will. Yeah. I think. Yep. I will. I, it has been known to happen. <laughs> Take us back into. I'm scared to dive into your mind. <laughs> it just it's just the short time Good we've luck. known each other. Bring a rope and a canary. <laughs> I, I'm a little I'm a little hesitant <laughs> to ask, but what got you into cuz you talk a bit in your your stand up about kind of growing up and and some of the pieces of yeah. of your childhood and your past. But what was that turning point? When was it that the kind of like the little light bulb went off and said, "You know what? I feel like I should try to make no money by being a stand-up comedian. <laughs> well, uh, uh, the men in my family have a long history of poor choices. <laughs> uh, so, no, it's, you know, it was actually a very circuitous route. Uh, I started out as a little gaby in upstate New York uh, and fell in love with theater and music theater because uh, my grandmother, my mother's mother, uh, was a big theater fan. And so was, when I was like 10, brought me to my first few musicals on the same weekend, brought me to see Les Miserables and Into the Woods, the original production that were, which is kind of an intense weekend of, you know, she brought like a 10-year-old to like the French Revolution and then Into the Woods, which is like some believe an allegory about the AIDS crisis through Stephen Sondheim's eyes. So that was an intense weekend. And then it was like a month later, my aunt brought me to see the second part of Angels in America and like you know what I mean, like and like and like a series of short plays at uh, the public theater. So that was kind of, and I was completely transfixed. And I think as a little kid, because that was also like you know pre-internet and pre-kind of reality TV fame and the idea. So I think as like a little kid back in our generation, I didn't necessarily understand. Like I knew the people on TV were people, but I didn't really get that that was like a job, you know, like I thought you had to be like, it was some kind of royalty. Like you just had to kind of be born into showbiz mm -hmm. and the, you know what I mean? And then, so that's how you got on TV and screen. So the idea of being on television or film didn't really compute to me as a life or a profession. But once I saw theater that did. Um, so that was my focus straight through. I went to uh, the university of the arts in Philadelphia, which is a conservatory. I got a BFA in music theater um, I toured nationally and, you know, half a dozen shows um, and did all kind of that stuff. And, you know, moved to New York City right after college at 21, would go out on the road for six months, would wait tables for six months, would go out on the road for six months, wait tables for six months. And then I really grew to hate it. Um, by the time I was like 23, 24, I really had grown. I had been professionally working in the theater since I was like a teenager um, and to one extent or another. And uh, hated that. So then spent a couple years just waiting tables and bartending and doing a lot of drugs in New York, uh, which is a good thing to do if you're going to do it. Like in your early to mid 20s, like that's the time to. I was going to say, as one does yeah. in your early 20s. In yeah, New York. I mean, that's definitely the, you know, the time to do it. And uh, pardon me, I just need some coffee. It's not a cocktail, I promise. Not yet. <laughs> um, 
And so that, uh, but basically happened was at those years in between, I decided to do one last show and an old choreographer friend had called me and I was wanted to get into New York city for the summer. And I was tired of, you know, serving old Jewish women, iced tea on the upper West side. And, uh, she called and said, will you come down to Georgia to a place called Jekyll Island, which is in the gold coast? Oh, sure. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh God. What a shithole. Um, mm, yeah, very much. <laughs> yeah. But they think it's, it's, it's amazing to me how, when you go different places in the country in the world, people will think something's amazing if it's kind of local and if it is kind of their nicest thing, but then you're like, no, this is a dumpster fire. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, I, we did Oklahoma and 1776 in rap an outdoor theater in Georgia oh in like God. July and August. And uh, it was uh, terrible. I still have some lifelong <laughs> friends from that show. I will say that. Um, but it is fucking terrible. And I hate every minute of it. And there's all these weird things happen because it's rural southern Georgia and you're doing theater. And so there's just a lot of weird, dark shit going on. Um, that was just reminding me, like, I don't want to be working in the theater with all this weird drama and craziness and, you know, and, and making, you know what I mean? Like I'm a working actor, quote unquote, barely making any money. Um, and, uh, the whole time I was writing emails home to a friend of mine, uh, Natalie, who is a cabaret singer, just these funnies to like writing out these stories, just written stories. And when I came back, she'd been pressuring me to try stand up for a while. You know, I was that guy who everyone was like, you're so funny. You should be a comedian. And I was like, well, right. But that's just something people say, you know what I mean? In the same way that people will say to me after a show all the time, Oh my God, I'm funny too. People always tell me I should be a comedian. I'm like, no, you should (laughs) don't do that. Um, and so I came back from that uh, show and she handed me a binder that was every email I'd written to her, oh. like 50 stories, and said, this is your first one-man show. You need to develop <laughs> this into a show. It needs to be mostly storytelling and, like, stand-up. Throw some music in there, you know, do some funny, you know, you know tie-ins, because that's a very New York cabaret thing. But she was like, it should, re- like, re- do this. It needs to be kind of a storytelling comedy show. And I did it. It was called Oklahoma Sexual. <laughs> um, nice. the life and times of a non-union actor and it uh it went really well and we ran it like a couple times and it got nominated for some awards and stuff but it was during that when people came to see it i then started having um uh, like you know offers to go do shows that were comedy shows stand, you know storytelling shows things like that and so that was kind of my move into that. And it was just one of those things where I still wanted to be a creative person and be kind of a full-time artist. And it was, you kind of also have to, as an artist, you have to listen to yourself first and foremost, and you have to do what you want to do creatively. But then there also comes a point where you have to let the outside world have some input. And if the outside world tells you this thing that you created on your own, that meant something to you, this part of it is the thing we value the most. This is what the most people are connecting with. This is what, you know, people are taking away. So you have to make the decision to be like, well, am I just going to do whatever I want to do, regardless of how it impacts people? Or do I want my work to actually go someplace and mean something to people? So then I just started doing it. I just, you you know, the nice thing about stand-up comedy is it's not like making a film or a TV show or an album or, you know, you, you don't need anyone. You just need a person in a mic and one asshole audience member in a coffee shop, <laughs> which is what it is for a long time. Or a gay bar. Um, and then, but yeah, then it was, I did that for like... <sighs> Four years, five years, and then I got uh, True TV World's Dumbest started, and so that kind of launched my TV career, which then opened up a ton of doors 
for both performing live but also more TV work. But yeah, it was a very, I had never really thought about stand-up comedy at all in all my years of performing until probably, you know, 10 years ago, 10, 15 years ago when this all started. That's awesome. But I'm glad to see that you went with an option that allowed that part of your your being to be out there for us, to, for people to be able to go to your shows. And, you know, a lot of the stuff that you, you talk about in your shows hits home. It, you know, it, it, we, a lot of us can relate to. And I know that when we saw the show in, in March and again, you know, like you came out last night and you were like, if you've seen, if you saw my shows before, <laughs> you're in for the same stuff. Like it just, but it, at the, you know, so seeing it, it twice kind of, you get to start to see and, and you hear different pieces of it. And cause you know, a lot of times when you're at a show and, and the material really hits hard and you just start laughing like crazy and you miss stuff. Right, 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 right. So it's kind of cool to be able to go back and see, you know, see the show again or, you know, even since it's been, you know, a few months in between to kind of be like, all right, well, Okay, I heard that joke, so maybe I'm not laughing as hard this time around. But you're then listening, and you're right. like, you're catching those little quips and those follow-up pieces that are right after it. And I also tend to, um, and I think it's partially because for like when I was first cutting my teeth, really in stand-up, I got a gig on Fire Island where I would bartend um, two nights a week, and then on one of those nights, I would uh, co-host and produce this kind of comedy drag variety show. And I helped the host, Ariel Sinclair. And the show had been going on for like 10, 12 years before I got there, but I was like the new blood. But so when when I realized I was suddenly going to have not only the same weekly show, but where the audience was 90% of the time, people who were there every single week, you very quickly, first of all, it makes you build material really fast. (laughs) But secondly, it also makes you realize you can't, even if it's a joke you've done for 10 years, for me, it's no fun for me and certainly no fun for an audience member to see me before if I literally recite the joke. Right. And also as if it's a script, that makes me feel like I'm back in theater, which is exactly yeah. what I wanted to get away from, was saying and singing and dancing the exact same precise thing eight times a week for exactly. six months. Makes it, like I did two back-to-back productions of Music Man once, where I was Marcellus. So, Shapoopy, uh-huh. which is a fun little ditty to do <laughs> once, but when you have done Shapoopy 1,742 times, <laughs> you literally look for a load-bearing beam to hang yourself. <laughs> So And so for me, what happens is for people who come to a lot of my shows, or like I had a weekly show in New York for about six years uh, at a nightclub called Therapy, there were, I mean, there were 20 or 30 people who would come almost every single Sunday for, you know, six or seven years. And there were things we would always do. Straight guy game, which I did last night, which, you know, if people have been to my live shows and bring a straight guy, I will play straight guy game with them. I mean, straight guy game started as like a 30 second bit with an audience member. And over the course of seven years at Therapy turned into like a 10 to 15 minute game that I play with a straight audience member. But every time I do it, there are things we're always going to hit. There are like bullet points, but then I wander within it too. So that it's interesting for me. And it's also interesting for someone who's seen it before because every single audience is different and you have an ad lib and maybe that ad lib is so good. You're like, fuck, that was great. I'm putting that in the show permanently. You know, How do you, that, I have a really this process question. Sure. How do you do that when you are improv and you're getting up there and you find something that you 
you've added in. And how do you remember that when you're done with the I'm show? I'm very bad at that, actually. Okay. <laughs> Some people are really good at it. There were two or three things. I remember having moments last night, in fact, where there were two or three times where I added something, and it went really well, and I was like, oh, that's great. And because you guys can't hear it, but, like, Julie Goldman was in the wing because she was going right after me. And we're really close. And so, like, when I hear her laugh at something she's heard before, but I did something different, then I'm like, fuck, what was – damn it. Um <laughs> A lot of times when I go on the road, um, he couldn't be with me uh, this time because he's at New York Pride. But my good friend, uh, Greg, who kind of acts as like a personal manager and helps me out with a lot of stuff like that when I go on the road and travel, he'll oftentimes be with me and he'll be in the audience and he'll just take notes of things that are different. Okay. Like, And he has no kind of – like he's not an artist. He runs a marketing company. He's a, But he's seen my act enough to know. And he's like, you've never said that before. I've seen you perform 10,000 times. Okay. You've never said that before and they all went crazy and you're not going to remember that so i mean literally for many years if i have friends in the audience they'll take a note on their phone they'll literally be like remember the word cantaloupe when you're doing (laughs) this bit because that's funnier than when you used to say banana or something you know and so and i always phones have made it so much easier to be a creative person um, even though we lambast them because they ruin shows because people won't get off them <laughs> at the show. But the fact that I can open my notes and add, just make, I mean, I have thousands of notes in my phone, you know, backed up to the cloud with just phrases, words, ideas, things to add to something. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, throughout the week when I'm on planes or, you know, stuck in traffic or whatever, I look through and remember and then try to build it into the show. Okay. Oh, that's awesome. And yeah, you, you played, uh, you, I think Julie helped you steer towards straight guy games last night. Because yeah, 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 yeah. You, you brought a, a, a gift that you were given. Oh, it's so good. I'll do it the next time. I'm, <laughs> I'm probably, Tim and I are talking. Hopefully I'll come back in like the fall or for the holidays or something. Um, like six weeks. You know? yeah, yeah, I'll be back in six weeks, basically. I'm coming. It's or uh, Parliament House Orlando is uh, like my menstrual cycle. I'm here once a month. <laughs> <laughs> on your own bleeding. Clockwork. It's a heavy flow show. Um uh, yeah, the cookbook is insane. Greg found that for me. That was a gift from Greg. Uh, so he's definitely the friend that keeps giving comedically. <laughs> it's a cookbook of semen-based recipes. It's oh. called Natural Harvest. Oh. It's a real thing. You can oh. find it on Amazon. Um, I actually have had fans bring it. They buy it, and then they bring it to a show and ask me to autograph it, <laughs> rather, which I think is awesome. Yes. Like, I have a book coming out in August, but I've debated literally, because especially on the uh, Atlantis and RSVP cruises, I have certainly talked about it and shown it, and they know it exists. I've debated, like, bulk ordering some from Amazon <laughs> to bring with me as, like, additional merchandise, <laughs> which would probably make me the only artist in history to sell someone else's merchandise as their merchandise. But it would drive up his sales, so I'm yeah, sure right. he wouldn't mind. It's disgusting, though. Look it up. It's actually... Also, uh, not to be mean to the author, but they're all the most basic. Like, there's nothing creative about the recipes. It's a straight-up, like, recipes.com recipe of each thing where he's added, like, two to four tablespoons of semen. So there's no, like, other like other than the man-made oysters. Oh. Yep. Which is exact. That, oh. That's the only kind of purest semen-based dish. Um, and there's a photo in the book, too. There's photos of the dishes. So that's, oh. if you wow. just want to ruin someone's Christmas, <laughs> that is the stocking stuffer to get them. Well, what, the cover, what are the, there's something on the cover. The cover is like a creme caramel, yes. which is also just, you suddenly look at everything in a, in a horrific <laughs> manner. <laughs> And one of my favorite title of a recipe is there's a sauces section. 
And so, and he does like puns on everything. Like it was like come caramel and man-made <laughs> oysters and blah. So uh, my favorite sauce was pungent aioli, which I've decided <laughs> is also going to be the name of a punk rock band that I start. Nice. Well played. Oh my God. Buying that CD. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Look CD. for my album pungent aioli coming out with my book. <laughs> I love it. One of the, the biggest things that I knew you from was uh was world's dumbest yeah yeah yeah. and how long how long were we on seven years we did and we did a lot and because it's not kind of a it's since it's not a scripted storyline show we made a a lot more than you would ever like in network television a sitcom is usually like 18 to 24 episodes on like hbo or netflix it's you know like 10 or 12 we were doing for the brunt of the time we made that show we were doing like 30 40 plus episodes a year so we were basically do- like we would fit the equivalent of two or three seas or four seasons into a calendar year, Gosh, which is funny because when you look at it just from a technical like nerdy show business point of way, you buy shows by season. So they would buy a block of shows and that would be like our season. So um, we, like we, they would often be like, the funny part was like I would just tell people we did the show for seven years because that feels like a real if you say to people the truth, which is like. We ran for like twenty nine seasons. <laughs> it sounds like The Simpsons. You know what I mean? Yeah. We weren't on for thirty yeah. years. We're not The Simpsons, but we did. Like it is that kind That's of weird crazy. thing where by the end it was like we'd get notices for like season thirty three, episode nineteen. I was just like, this is surreal. But yeah, it was the gift that kept on giving. It was a great. And that content's evergreen. Like you could play that from now yeah. until. And they do. I mean, that's the advantage is we haven't made the show in probably a little over a year. Um, and it, they still rerun the ha- like whenever I get a sudden uptick for no apparent reason in Twitter followers and Facebook followers and Instagram followers, I immediately am like, uh, uh, and then I'll like Google it and they're like, oh, we're doing a world's dumbest marathon uh-huh. for the, you know, for the weekend or something. Which is actually how, when I started following you sure. was because I had really gotten into, I think it was shortly after we moved into, um, the house that we live in now about three and a half years ago. And I don't know how or why, but I was going through and I'm like, this is awesome. Oh, you know, actually, I remember how I, how it started. I was at a friend's house for like a Christmas get together before he moved. And we were all just, it was one of those things where it's like, you're, you're that close to a friend that you're just basically fam, family. Right, so after right. dinner, instead of like actually doing stuff, you just sit down with everybody yeah. and watch yeah. TV because that was all that we did. And they had turned it on and I'm like, this is fucking hysterical and then when we moved into the house as we were getting stuff set up you know and uh brian works a day job i work obviously at the bar at night so i'm home during the day getting stuff set up and i would just put it on and just let it you know put true tv yeah. on and let it watch no, i mean i am when people because it is one of those shows because it's been around for so long and there's so many reruns and stuff that we you know you become like a face that's familiar to people but they don't know why you know what I mean? Like, obviously, Danny Bonaducci, everybody knew who he was before that show started. But for a lot of the comedians, um, you know, who do, who were the kind of the core cast of the show, we were not household names. And we're still not household names, but we're household faces. So I get a lot, you get a lot of people staring at you, which was like my first experience. Because <laughs> I still lived in New York then. I lived in New York for the brunt of the time we made the show. And I was a very much a New Yorker. So it was that thing where when people start staring at you and you know you don't know them. Particularly like like a big straight goomba of a guy, you're like, what's your f- fucking problem? You gonna <laughs> yeah. what? You gonna start some shit? What? You want to fuck with the fairy? Come on, bring it! 
You know what I mean? Or like, you know, everyone walks around New York with earbuds on all the time because you don't want any human interaction. People are gross. So you, so then what happens is like people would just like tap, grab your shoulder, like you're walking. And there were a couple times in the early days where like I would like, so, you know, because you're just like, you don't fucking touch people in New York for no reason. So I had to learn to be like, oh, right. This is like, this is that part of the job that doesn't really happen when you're in the theater. Mm -hmm. Like this is a certain amount of facial recognition that now you just have to expect will be there um, all the time. And it's, it has its pluses and its minuses, but it is, I'm definitely that guy who people would be like, I know you. What There was a guy last night who came with this really sweet kid who's come to a couple shows since I've been here and he's a big fan and he brought his, I assume they're fucking, um, <laughs> And uh, he was just like, yeah, he's like, yeah, he's like, you come to Orlando a lot. Like, don't you perform? You must have like, did you used to bartend here? Did you used to? I'm like, no, you just know me from. But and it's also the thing, world's dumbest is thing. You flip through and then you just start watching it. But you don't necessarily because it's not a storyline show. Yeah. You're not like, did you see damages last night? So I'll be like, it's called world's dumbest. It's on true TV. And then they're like, doesn't ring a bell. <laughs> And then I'm like, if when you come home drunk late at, th at you know two o'clock in the morning, if you ever watched videos of cars crashing and people stealing ATMs and stupid inventions, and then a bald gay guy makes fun of them, and then they go, "Oh my god!" I'm like, "There you go, we got there." One of the things I loved is because I I'm a New Yorker, also right. been down here for eight years, um, but Chuck Nice was oh, a regular yeah. on the show, and I I used to, I listened to the radio chick. Yeah, yeah. So I. I would get excited because I'd be like, oh, Chuck Nice. And then it just, it kind of built from there. And then I became a fan of yours. Um, and then you would have those people that would be either regulars or semi-regulars. Right. And you're like, oh, they're awesome. Okay. You know, right. and you would start to see these people doing the show. And it's like, you just kind of get wrapped into, okay, well, there's going to be stupid shit that's going on. Right. But the commentary that you guys provide was kind of, was what would make me stick around and be like, right. I want to see what they're what they're gonna what kind of bullshit they're gonna talk about or what kind of jokes they're gonna crack about this kind of stuff, and a lot of the the, the criminals and the you know a lot of the the specific like topics weren't necessarily the ones that I was like oh, okay I need to tune in and watch right but those invention ones yeah we loved invention those were I think I think I finally erased them off our DVR but I had recorded like I had at least a good ten of those episodes. <laughs> Or, like, eight of them, and I think there were, like, 11 or 12 total that, that were done. And I was just like, I need to keep them around. Oh, it's rain. Yeah. Sorry. There was literally a sound in the background. I'm like, is there a fucking <laughs> raccoon breaking in or something? <laughs> that amazing. What the fuck is there's, going on behind me? There's a gator tapping We have on not. The I just, I mean, obviously, it's a podcast, so this is your, on, it's your radio. You're never supposed to talk about what you can see on radio. It's raining right now. I'm sure it won't shock anyone in Florida. <laughs> This is literally already, in 90 seconds, more rain than we've had in California in five years. <laughs> yeah. I swear to God. I mean, I swear to God. We literally have no water whatsoever. I can't get L.A. Every time I've been there, it's so weird because I'm from Florida. And it's like the same hot, you know, whatever. Right. No humidity. No, dry. dry. You can't sweat if you tried. Fucking no rain. No I adore it. Ugh. There's no such thing as weather in L.A. Yeah. There's earthquakes. That's the closest we get. And fires. <laughs> there's natural disasters are the closest we get to weather. But there's no actual – like, I mean, at, when I was in New York, I used to have, like, four different weather apps on my phone at all times uh -huh. because, you know, you had to cross-reference. And because in New York City, you kind of live out of a messenger bag or a backpack. Or, even if you run, like, a fucking Fortune 500 company, you live – like, you have to bring stuff with you. You have to bring everything you need for mm -hmm. your life when you leave your house that day because you don't have a car to leave stuff in. So it was that thing. 
thing of like if it ever might rain or get colder later or get humid or get hotter, you had to like have a change of clothes in your bag and an umbrella and gloves. And if I, and, and I moved to L.A. and I was just like within the first six months, I was like, I don't think I've checked the weather. Except when I'm on the road in a city that has weather. Like, I'm like, I don't really need this anymore. This is, I I know it will, people in other places of the country can't imagine what it's like to not, you never have to plan your life around weather. Like, you never have to be like, oh, it's going to snow, we should go food shopping. Or, oh, it's there's a hurricane, (laughs) you know what I mean? Or like, oh, it's going to be like really, really humid tomorrow, so let's go out to the pool today. No, it's. Tomorrow will be 82 sunny and dry with a light breeze, as will every other day in your life in Los Angeles. It's kind of like hell, but a good hell. It's like purgatory. No, Hollywood is pretty much what hell I think will be like. Because the devil's smart and savvy, so it'll be glossy and shiny and everything will be fake and hollow, Mm. dead inside. So I have another process question. So when you were working on uh, True TV's uh, America's... Dumbest. What is it? Was world, world, world stuff. Sorry, it's not America. I, I'm very American. We needed more. We needed more than world just America. I mean, eighty-seven percent. There was a lot Florida. of yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, a lot of Florida, a lot of Florida, uh, but a lot of Eastern Europe too. Oh yeah, yeah there. Yeah. I mean, basically, yeah. Like, I mean, I'm actually going to be there this summer, so I shouldn't say this, but the Czech Republic is basically <sighs> like the Florida of Eastern Europe. <laughs> they, they, Lots uh, of just weird, fucked up shit. I going mean, they on produce there. the Bellamy and mm-hmm. all that stuff, so you know. Um, well, Florida's got pretty young boys too, but then you fucking break them. <laughs> yeah. Um, did you guys have a writers' room, or was it very independent? Or? No, it was very independent. It was okay. the exact opposite of any other show I've worked on since, for the most part. In the sense that, um, unless you actually see like me and Julie Gold like sitting on each other's laps physically, or blah blah blah. We are not in the same room together, even. There were plenty of times where even that you, they would, because it was all shot on green screen. You go into a green screen studio, it was 99% of the time you alone with producers and makeup people and camera people, but no, none of the other comedians. Occasionally when um, they did have um, uh, writers who worked on the show in the sense of, uh, there was a series of producers and uh, writers who, instead of writing jokes for us, were more about uh, curating all the clips, deciding kind of the arc of the show, but then also occasionally coming up with ideas of like, so usually if you would see stuff like me and Mike Trainer or me and Ju- Judy Gold or Chuck Nice in a cop car and we're both cops, that was one of the writer producers who was like, the angle of this clip is going to be instead of everybody doing commentary, because that was the other thing after so many episodes, you want to start breaking it up where it's not going to be show the clip four comments from four different people. Next clip. Right. So we started creating scenes and animation and, you know, keeping things fresh. So that would be where like the writers would come in and that they would kind of come to us with the idea, but not really a script, just kind of yeah. you and Mike Starting sit next point. to each other. We're, you know, we'll get, we'll like let you talk for a little bit, give you a hand sign of when the car hits you, react and do eight or 10 takes of that. And then right. there you are. We would get this, the videos like a week, maybe, yeah, a week to 10 days before we would film. Um, after the first season, the first season, we would literally be given like the clips on Monday. We had to film on like Tuesday. Oh it was edited Wednesday and it would come out Thursday. Wow. Um, but once we got a kind of a handle and got a few in the bag and some breathing room, I'd get it a week to 10 days before you'd get, you'd get the, um, this was, uh, we would still get DVDs. Oh yeah. Back in the day, um, uh, that would be messengered to our homes. 
and uh, and you would get a, a packet of notes on the clip. So you'd get like a paragraph or two on each clip. People's names, what happened afterwards, any details that might help us write jokes, but or that was going to be given in voiceover mm-hmm. um, that wasn't you know visible or or obvious in the clip. You'd write eight to ten jokes for each clip. You would go into the studio, and you would literally they'd be like clip number one. Steve on the tricycle, and then you would go bada 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 ba, bada 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 ba, and you would just go boom ba boom ba boom ba boom. Um, I'm kind of a fast worker, so um, I would film like an episode in like full, like yeah, forty five minutes to an hour. I could do usually two episodes. Um, cause you just go blum. Like if they were not doing caught, co- like yeah, inventions yeah. would take forever because we had the inventions with us Oh yeah, and there would be a lot of, we would, it was kind of like filming two episodes at one cause we would write jokes about the thing and about the video, about the infomercial about, but then they would also literally at the end be like, everybody pick five or six out of the 20 inventions that you really want to fuck with. And you're literally just going to sit on the green screen and we are going to film you trying to use it, (laughs) messing with it, anything you want to do. That was really fun. Anytime They were really, really good um, as a production company and as executive producers about saying to us, like, if you have an idea or you just like, we will film you improving and rambling for this show on anything ever for as long as you want to, because, you know, like, that's where we're. Gonna, I mean, we could probably release seasons and seasons oh of god. outtake reels. That'd be just perfect for like endless YouTube outtake reels. Oh my gosh! Um, I'll buy that it, DVD set. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's funny. Did you ever watch? Um, it's just, this whole idea of the show, and I know World's Dumbest isn't the first to oh, do it, god, yeah. but it, it to me a lot of it comes back to Mystery Science Theater. 3, oh sure. And it, what it sounds like you guys are doing is this like distributed Mystery Science Theater three thousand. Where you're all doing your own thing, but it all is knit together into this great, funny... Yeah, you know. it was kind of a combination of Mystery Science Theater and um, Best Week Ever. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. The, uh, the, the man who um, who runs Meeting House Productions, who is who invented World's Dumbest and sold it to True TV, um, worked for MTV okay. in, in his youth. Uh, well, he's not that old. Sorry, Jason. <laughs> uh, in his younger years. Um, and I believe even worked on that show in its early stages, too. So it was certainly a format that he had worked intimately with. And on one of the shows that was kind of iconic, like kind of was another one of those icons of like clip based commentary exactly, shows. Yeah. Um, instead of doing pop culture and, you know, TV in the week's events. Right. It was, you know, viral video clips, which also at that point, you know, we came out before Tosh, you know, like right before Tosh. Yeah. And then Tosh was the kind of the one man kind of version of that where he was using viral clips too so it was also just that no one especially on basic cable had made real use of the viral video phenomenon and the fact that so much of people's entertainment and voyeurism had moved from formal reality tv like Mm -hmm. bravo and nbc and like reality competition shows to this sort of 30 seconds to five minutes of internet content on anything from police and scandals and murder and people jumping off buildings to, you know, idiots trying to, you know, skateboard up the side of a pool, all that sort of stuff. It, you know, and we were definitely one of the first to kind of jump on that um, premise. And we certainly, and we wrote it for a long time. I mean, 
very few shows anymore have the longevity that oh we my have. gosh and did you guys ever get any feedback from either the inventors or people from the oh videos? of course uh, the or... inventors would never <laughs> shut the hell up was there anything that stood out you know, to you like... it's actually why we didn't do more episodes those episodes i believe were some of the highest if not the highest rated in their initial airs and even had viewership in in reruns um of any of our themes um the problem being it would take forever to get enough inventions because from the very beginning it had been a top 20 list so and it was it's an hour-long show so you can't you know what i mean like it wouldn't make sense to then just do like 10 inventions so to get 20 inventions that you because you then had to have legal authorization yep to talk about it on the air and, you know, plenty of them because none of them were successful inventions. <laughs> Even the ones who were willing to have it done to them were like, I'm totally willing to have it done. I'd like Free a bajillion publicity. dollars. Oh. You know what I mean? To talk about my product. And so it's like, well, right. That's you know. <laughs> the, the, that episode is no longer valuable if it's the equivalent of an entire year's budget right, right. to do one episode, um, which is why we call them smartest inventions. They had a real problem with dumbest inventions, mm. even though we were making fun of them. And we would get a lot of notes before we would even go in about, like, the inventor has already stated you're not allowed to make fun of this or this or oh, that wow. or this. And we would do um, pickups, which is where if you've already if you've already filmed a show, it's the same scripted or non-scripted. A pickup is just you have to come back in and refilm something or change something or it's either because there were technical issues or because you had to change something in the script for legal issues or storyline issues. Um, and so inventions would always have a lot of pickups before it would go to air because they would love what one comedian would come up with and then, you know, go back to legal and the and legal would go to the inventor and the inventor would say, well, I don't oh. like that word or I don't like. So then they'd come back to us and say is there a way for you to say what you said about the thing, but not say it that way so that we can kind of skirt the razor's edge? Wow. Um, but that's the nature of television yeah. in general. There was, I, I mean, I remember I used to ask for lists from legal, especially in the beginning, because it was my first TV show. So I was still learning even myself how to make TV. And um, I would be like, if I can't like, if I can't say like drunk whore, can I call her a bar skank? <laughs> like, and they would go to Lee and legal has very, like you have back and forth emails and phone calls where people are like, yes, we definitely got clearance because skank doesn't necessarily imply sexual promiscuity. Uh, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And implying yep. she was in a bar is different than saying she was drunk. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, but because people will so people will say I wasn't drunk in that clip and you're that slander and you're mm-hmm. accusing mm-hmm. me of being intoxicated while that was happening. And if that were true, that might be illegal. You know what I mean? If, yeah. if in that clip I was driving a car, you know and you say that i was drunk that makes a certain so you know legal implicate blah 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 so you learn i used to literally say give me lists of words i can say and then there are words you can say in basic cable in our time slot but not too much mm. so then it would be the thing of like well let's say it but then if we get too many motherfuckers or if we get too many you know goddamn it's then let's we'll, i'll say it in a different way too in case you need to use god damn it more for a different clip because right. it makes sense so you lit i mean but that's it's lists wow. it's lists of words and what you can say but inventions would be tough they would definitely um ride us on like not make like we had to try to make fun of it in a positive way <laughs> yeah my favorite thing was i woke up one morning and um i had a new twitter follower and it was the inventor of it was the um was it the hour-long like shot 
competition one. Oh yeah, like, yeah, it, yeah. Like, played music. Like there was yeah, some yeah, music yeah. component yeah, to it. Yeah, the shot glass that plays like it's like musical chairs. Yes, there that inventor followed me on Twitter, and I was like, and I had seen it on World Smartest Inventions, and I was like. This is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> like, I know what this is. Yeah, I definitely had some of them who would then follow me, which made me nervous. Because <laughs> you wonder, like, are you following me because you want to know where I am so you can yell at me <laughs> or, like, shoot me? Or are you following me because you thought what I said about your thing was funny? Uh, that was that that was definitely, like, those were the, some of the highlights of, of World's Dumbest Oh, trust format, me, if we could have, if it had been easier to make those episodes... <laughs> I mean, because we were lucky if we could do, like, two of those, like, a year. Because it would take, you, you're talking, I mean, two of those is 40. And we would film inventions that were great, and then the people would back out at the end. The inventor oh. would back out at the end. So we would have, like, a whole episode in the can, and then we would drop from, like, 20 perfect things to 17. And, like, have to scramble to find, you know what I mean? Because then you've also told a network... Sometime in the next five episodes, you're going to get an invention. So, because they have to build their programming thing and they need to decide when they're doing it. And, you know, um, but it was, yeah, if we could have done that every week, if we could have an entire show just of, of quote unquote smartest inventions, <laughs> I'm sure we would have. I think the last one came out on my birthday a couple of years ago because I run Bear Bust here at the Parliament House and it's usually around my birthday weekend. So, that whole time frame is like, always just a blur and i never really get to see anything right and i got home afterwards and i went <laughs> to my dvr and i at the time would record um world's dumbest so it always have like there would always be tons of them on the dvr and i was like oh I'm like oh there's a new inventions oh and it came out on my birthday it was like it was, a, it was like it was just a little gift for me it was fantastic <laughs> um so after uh world's dumbest concluded yeah where did you go? Because you, you said you, after that you moved over, you moved to L.A. Yeah, I moved to L.A. for probably the last year we made the show was when I was in L.A. Um, and then, but also simultaneously at that point, I was also writing for Joan Rivers for Fashion Police. That's right. So I did That's that right. for a year or two. I mean, I did it right up until her very unexpected passing. Uh, so that was I was kind of doing double duty on shows. Uh, during that time, which was great, um, but which was, again, also a, a situation where I was writing all of that kind of via satellite. So I was on the road and traveling and all over the place, but would be given all the looks and write everything and then send it in. Um, and then now, in the last couple of years, it's been a lot of... I'm L.A. now, so it's basically lots of pilots all the time, which don't get picked up. Um, the irony being there is a certain level in L.A., and most people don't realize this, where a lot of actors and comedians and personalities and everything you can literally almost make a living if i mean if you, i mean if you're kind of like given the opportunity to just by doing pilots and tv shows that never go anywhere because there's so many of them and you get it, it's it's the thing that's nice that about television that isn't true about like live performance, which is you uh, like you get paid from the beginning. You know what I mean? Like you get paid. Well, after the audition process is over or the meeting where they say we want you to write for this or do this or host to this, you immediately start getting paid. So it's, you know, 90 percent of the time projects you would work on. So it's that thing of like nothing really needs to go anywhere because there's always a pilot season. And I know plenty of people who make enough money during pilot season. And now because of internet-based television, all of that pilot season, there's still the core pilot season, which is for network television and ca like premium cable and scripted high profile, multi-million dollar shows. Um, 
But for everything else, it's all year long. So now everybody I know, myself included, is just always getting ready for something or just finishing something and getting ready for the next thing. Um, so, like, I've made a ton of television since I've been in L.A. that no one outside of L.A. has seen. Um, but it's funny because it makes you, like, you, you get this kind of internal industry notoriety and fame where you become, like... I've written for tons of stuff and done on cameras for tons of stuff. And that's taken up like the last two years of my life when I'm not on the road. Cause I'm on the road probably a good, like 20 weeks a year. Um, so it's, it's just been that. And we're just waiting now for the next project. There's a couple things I'm working on with a couple really big production companies that hopefully one of those will be the next thing. Some of them are scripted. Some of them are reality based. Um, some of them are kind of clippy or talk showy, you know, the way uh, World's Dumbest was. But that's, I mean, yeah, pretty much that, the last year of writing my book, and then the road, the Atlantis and RSVP cruises, and then all the the gigs I do that, that aren't giant gay boats. All the, all the <laughs> land-based work that I do. The 47 more upcoming gigs you have in the Parliament exactly, House. In exactly, exactly. In the next I'm eight here weeks. next Tuesday, Thursday, <laughs> and Sunday. Um, <laughs> We would love it, yeah. honestly. Like I'm doing two shows a day for the next ten days. <laughs> a matinee and an evening. Oh, perfect. <laughs> I love, love it. That I love that matinee slot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. A good three PM stand up comedy <laughs> slot on a Tuesday. Listen, I think we're gonna pack the place. In Florida. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Could. We got the blue hairs. That's how <laughs> yes. I get is there a gay retirement home near here that we could bus <laughs> in? Oh my god, Fort Lauderdale has gotta be. Yeah, it's Lauderdale. pretty much down the street at this other bar. <laughs> Oh, oh, oh. Ooh, shade. The shade of it all. <laughs> is it the way I just have a, a non I have a, a, a visitor to Orlando question. So um, I'm performing at the Parliament House. We're right now talking in the gardens, which is like their condo tower on the other side of the lake. Um, what there's this little uh, gay bar that no one will let me go to. Yes. <laughs> That's like attached to the parking lot uh-huh. of the guard of this garden tower. Which used to thing. be a very wasn't it like very the mayor's po- house though a hundred years ago? Oh. It's technically someone local told Are you me serious? that it technically was the first mayor of Orlando's home. I've never and heard there's that. like a plaque in there, and it is technically a historic site. Like it is a historic site, which is why the oh. building cannot be torn down. Right, which is what that's what someone said is they're like it's a shithole, but it's also not their fault. Well, because they can't really. I mean, well, they could redo the interior. I haven't been, so I don't know, but. But it was that kind of thing of like, yeah, you can't really like it's just this tiny little thing, but you yeah. can't really change that because it's got you know exactly. It was um, I, I I didn't realize, but it would yeah, make it was sense. like the first mayor's house in like, and we're talking like nineteen twenty three or you know, which absolutely makes sense because I love that you're googling it. <laughs> I just never heard this, and I'm a big history. And that. it was and told to me by someone who was sober at the time, oh, well, so then, it wasn't that many wow, people. Like, yeah, real. seriously, because it's not someone in a bar being like, yeah, let me tell you. Because when, you, when you're at the Parliament House, more than more, most I times than not. So this is like my 19th iced coffee today. Oh I was God. so <laughs> drunk last night in such a short period of time, and it's not like I. I mean, listen, you know, L.A. gay bars, New York gay bars, gay bars are all the same. Gay bars pour heavy. Um, it's why people like us and why we <laughs> like ourselves when we're there. <laughs> but it's I'm just like oh oh my gosh, just I had like. Four cocktails, which for me is normally brunch. <laughs> and I was just like, I gotta walk home. <laughs> yeah, because when I left you guys, 
you uh, you and Steven were heading up to do a, a balcony tour. Yes. Oh. And also, literally, if you go – so after the show, I had two drinks after the show. Or no, I probably had like – no, I had like three or four drinks until after then the second show, the uh, the uh, the Footlight Players performance gotcha. that was after yes. us. We saw that. So I had a couple drinks in there. We had to pack everybody like Steven and Tony still had their luggage from the airport. So we packed everything into my rental car uh, to drive over here. Very short drive. First of all, I pull out of the parking lot and a cop starts flashing me. His, and I'm like, oh, fuck it. I can't go to jail in Florida <laughs> again. And, <laughs> and it was literally uh, – it's a rental car and I didn't notice the lights weren't on auto. I'm just used to lights on every uh, car sure. and it being on auto. And we were still in the parking lot next to the Parliament House sign, so it's as bright as day. Yep. So And I rolled down. I'm like, I'm so sorry. It's a rental. I didn't – he's like, I don't care. Just turn on your lights, dude. <laughs> I was like, I'm like, oh, yay, the cops are going to be nice to us forever now in Orlando. <laughs> um, sympathy from the police. Yes. And, but so literally, I, we drove back over here, which is a, you know, 500, it's the length of a football field from the Parliament House to here, but we had the car. I went out this morning. Uh, I am absolutely not parked in any way, shape, or form in a spot. <laughs> I'm just kind of parked half in between two spots, kind of diagonally. I'm like, yep, I was definitely a little tipsy last night. <laughs> Thought I lined this one up better than I did. <laughs> Have you found if it's the mayor's house yet? It is so hard to search for mayor, full moon, and Woodstock. Is that what it's called? Woodstock is the name. It of used the bar. to be the full moon. It used to be the full moon saloon. It was um, in its gay bar status. It was the bear bar. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was the epitome of like that. That was your your and bear, your happened? leather Levi. <laughs> I like you're like well it was it was well it was. Um, one day, one day in the middle of the night, the owner just kind of took everything out of it, boarded it up and, and peace out. I can out. tell you that's usually how most gay bars in the world go <laughs> down, <laughs> in my experience. And the, uh, the staff got there the next day and was like, <laughs> yep. Oh, what? I'm supposed to work today. Yeah. So. It, and then someone else took it over. It sat dormant for about seven and a oh, half wow. years. Wow. Yeah. Um, so there must have been some legal shit going on there too. I yeah, I'm not quite sure whether or not there was any any legal issues. Somebody bought the property. Gotcha. And nothing opened in its place. Okay. Um, and then it, I guess, went up for sale again, and um, was purchased. I know Parliament House has wanted to buy the property, obviously with. Right. Right, it would with be a it whole, being yeah. all yeah, it really is. This, it's right next door to this lot. You know whether you turn whether they would turn it into a you know another bar or move the bear den you know and make right, that again or whatever it, whatever right. they would do with it. I, I don't know. I know that they have wanted to. Um, they have wanted so. What's to it like it. now? Since no one will let me go in. Whatever the whoever the fuck wants to give them money is what it is now. Okay. And I have, I have very heated and very strong so opinions. So not just gay, now. you mean not just like any, no. right? it's not the, specifically a The concept bar. when it was going to reopen, because it's the people that run the bar do not own the land. Okay. They do not own the bar. Right. They're leasing. Gotcha. Because for, for quite a while, they had a sign out front that said, you know, poor lease. Um, they, the original concept was... A live music venue. Okay. An everybody bar. Right. Not a gay bar, not right. a straight bar. Right. Everybody right. bar. Right. Everybody's right. welcome. Um, Very 2016 of them. Exactly. Of course. Exactly. Um, that went by the wayside very quickly. 
because they cleared out a good chunk of the back of the the bar area. Right. Because it went up to a certain point when it was in its original incarnation. Right. They cleared out a shit ton of trees and opened up a lot right, of space. Right, right, to make yeah, Made this venue. giant stage, put up 14,000 fucking gazebos that they were going to put televisions in yeah. and all this stuff. Mind you, they, they barely have, they don't have money to pay their employees. Right. But they're building all this stuff. And um, then, due to some detective work by somebody... <laughs> um, I like looking up city permits. I mean, somebody, it's easy. It's the it's internet. That's what you do on your weekend. Exactly. Um, they they ran into issues because there's only about 12 parking spots. Oh, yeah. And so you can't have, like, yeah. You can't suddenly have 250, 500 people coming uh-huh. for to see a concert. So I have a random, and this is yeah. only because we are a gay and geeky show. Yeah. And I, uh, other than musical theater, which is very geeky because, you know, I'm a music theater nut and a musician. And I, I know how deep that rabbit hole goes if yes, you want it to. Yes. What other thing would you say is, like, your geeky secret or oh your that's passion. it's not a secret people know this about me it's okay. very public is um specifically stevie nicks oh, okay I, it's the weirdest it's it's very hard it's not even explainable it just is what it is uh-huh. um i'm upset now i want to make something clear i'm obsessed with stevie nicks and the fact that i absolutely know as much about stevie nicks as almost any human i certainly know more about stevie nicks than stevie nicks knows <laughs> That we've well. established, but we've proven over the years that I do know more about Stevie Nicks than even like uh, uh, Larry Flick, who's a dear friend of mine who runs a radio show on oh, Sirius okay. Radio, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I was a co-host on a show yeah. for many years, is also a devout Stevie fan, has interviewed her many times, uh-huh. and really, it's one of the things we first connected on. He's even like, yeah, girl, you know too much. I'm not a crazy Stevie Nicks fan in the way that, like, I'm not obsessed in the way that I don't dress like her, uh-huh. or like follow her on the road like she's fish or the grateful dead oh, yeah. <laughs> or i actually just adore i adore her story and i adore her career and her kind of the way she runs her career but i also adore the work but i have literally how would you like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with juvederm voluma xc in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. 
five or six hundred unreleased demos, outtakes, alternate versions oh, of songs, wow. studio session recordings, live recordings. Also because my best, best friend from childhood, um, Dan, and I, that was like one of the things we really connected with as friends when we were like late teens, like college, basically college kids. And so we started collecting them together. So it also became literally like a long distance chess game between two friends because we would find them and find them online and Uh find out about other ones and hear rumors about them and then confer and have like five hour phone conversations where we would literally like have listened, like we'd agree to listen to, we're going to listen to these 10 new ones. Uh Then we need to analyze them. We need to talk. And he's an art history professor and I'm an artist. So it's like one of those things where, I mean, he pulls in aspects. And so it, but it is literally, I mean, I have a lyric of hers tattooed on my arm and it is one of those things where, you know, and, but people now know that a lot of fans, uh, the gift most given to me by fans other than sex and alcohol, uh, <laughs> which I'm glad those are the top two. But it, but a close third to those two would be Stevie Nicks stuff. Okay. I have some be- – like I have a gorgeous oil painting someone found that some – like a fan did of hers, but a really beautiful one that they bought and sent to me for my birthday. Oh, wow. um, and just yeah, and all kinds of stuff like that. And I now no, no longer need to even keep track of Stevie myself because anytime Stevie does or says anything, of course. 900 people will Facebook or, t- or tweet me, which is great. Like sure. it actually makes my life a lot easier as I get older because I'm busier than I was in my 20s professionally like most people you know are so i don't have time to like be paying attention when she gave a crazy interview in australia (laughs) or you know or like finally admitted to something in you know print that we had all heard rumors about for years so i now just have basically like a a network of spies who keep track of stevie for me but yeah it is it is absolutely i mean it's not a well-kept secret everybody knows it about me but it is beyond beyond the the nerd like it is my star wars my Star Trek, my Comic Con. <laughs> I mean, I could, I could write. Uh, we've debated. Friends have, have asked me to write a book that's literally both like the history and analysis of Stevie Nicks's career, comedically and interspersed with my weird obsessions and my idea. connections to all of that. Like that, you know, kind of like the ultimate fan fiction, but it's not fiction. Yeah, it's all nonfiction. So we're debating that w- whether that'll be like a passion project. I, I work love on in that the next idea. couple of years. Because you wouldn't even really need to know that much. You you wouldn't need to know anything about Stevie. I'd tell you everything. (laughs) But it would also not just be like, here's a chronological, like, my exploration of her work. It would also be my, you know, weird in, like, why I, you know, my first memories of her music as a kid and meeting her and, you know... The fact I know where her one of, well, she has two homes in LA. The fact I know where the apartment is. So sometimes when I'm when I go driving late at night, when <laughs> I'm stressed out, or, or like when I'm creatively blocked, I love to drive. So I drive up Pacific Coast Highway, the one which yep. just goes. It's a gorgeous drive, day or night. But at night, it's there's literally no one on the road. And her apartment kind of overlooks the highway. It's in this beautiful modern tower near the Santa Monica Pier. That you know. And it's not a secret. She does interviews there and talks about where her apartment is all the time. But I know what floor it's on. So when she's in town and not on the road, I know she's a night owl. So when I'm driving, I will sometimes literally, it'll be, because it'll be two o'clock in the morning on a Tuesday. It's the only light on. And I literally will like just pull into the parking lot at the beach across for a little bit just to be like, she's awake. Like I'll put on a song and be like, she's awake writing or being Stevie journaling endlessly (laughs) into like a papyrus notebook with a quill. (laughs) 
while the fireplace is on in August because she's turned the air conditioning down low. Like, oh, I'm just like, there she is. My lady's up working late and I'm working late too. Aww. Yeah, it's totally dirty. It's totally That's amazing. Dirty. So, I mean, in this, because, you know, of course, we're mutual friends with uh, the Divine Grace. Yeah. And her, and her big involvement yes, with Night of a Thousand Stevies. Yes. Night, yeah. So, I've, I went to Night of a Thousand Stevies twice a million years ago. I've not uh-huh. been back since. Um, but yeah, that is, there's a lot of fans at Night of a Thousand Stevies too who are the fans that I'm not like, oh. which is always makes me know, like, they're the fans who like, who's like, who named their daughter Rhiannon, <laughs> which is not just don't, like, if you're going to name her something, name her Stephanie yeah. Lynn, which is Stevie's real name, or name her Sarah. That's another perfect, don't call her Rhiannon, because then that poor girl, the rest of her uh-huh. life, people have to be like, oh, so your parents really love Fleetwood Mac and Stevie next, don't they? Yes. And I mean, I'm not, you know... Divine is a drag performer, so and it's Night of a Thousand Stevies. It makes sense for her. She's a professional. Oh, yeah. But I don't – like, soccer moms wearing top hats and bangs <laughs> and, like, twirling around in a handkerchief scarf. It makes me sad for them. <laughs> I mean, it does. Like, it does. Like, it's – because even Stevie will tell you, like, you know, she never does – she's like Dolly Parton in the sense of she never n- doesn't look like Stevie. You're never going to see Stevie in, like, jeans – you Mom know, jeans, and a flip flop, yeah. and you know, like, but you'll see Stevie in a ponytail and glasses and black leggings and you know a black blousey top and like a flat you know suede boot or something like that. Yeah. When she's, yeah. you know, there's plenty of footage of an interview stuff of her, you know, just recording in her house or living. But she always looks. At, but even she's like, from the beginning, she's always said she wanted a uniform, she wanted a costume, she wanted. Absolutely. She's a tiny little woman too. She's like five two, five three. So she's like, you know, you're on a rock stage in this and you kind of have to stand out so like she always liked that style but she was like things like a handkerchief skirt and the shawl and the ribbons and stuff when i turn it makes me look bigger it's shinier it's more interesting to look at because they were also an old school band where you know bands used to just get up and do the songs there was no madonna yet there was no you know what i mean there was no you know queen and elton john were kind of the begin you know and and punk rock and glam rock were the beginnings of that kind of costuming and oh, yeah. putting on like a show with dancers and a set but you know they were 70s rock stars that wasn't a thing and so she was kind of doing that she, but she's like yeah you know she doesn't you know go to the airport in a top hat with like <laughs> fucking baby's breath falling out of it i mean it's you know she's like i'm at work people this is i'm at work there's there's a work uniform so yeah when i see i mean listen I, but i'm just not also that person i would never wear costumes like i'm not i go on the gay cruises and every party has a theme and i'm never i will wear like the correct color like i'll wear all white at the white party but it's uh-huh. white shorts and a white tank top and you know at the dog tag tea dance i'll wear a camouflage tank top and but that's as far as like for carnival i'm not wearing a two-story headdress <laughs> and like you know banana skirts and like that i'm just no there's the costume is brad locally and that's the costume <laughs> i was gonna say it's like night of the thousand stevie's kind of reminds me of like the comic con it is it is like the stevie con it is stevie con and it it started as a very small little party Did it? and now has thousands and thousands of people I mean, it is. And when you think that it's about, I mean, Comic-Con's about an entire industry and genre. That's about one lady. 
Oh, I like, know. The idea that you, I mean, that thing has evolved where you could get. And the truth is, if they went to a bigger venue, yeah. if there were, I mean, I, I think it could grow exponentially as far as you know. And and they've, I know plenty of places that do, you know, nights of a thousand Stevies as like just a party and stuff. Yeah. But yeah, there's there is a cult around Stevie Nicks in particular that doesn't exist around most other artists. So based on this pedigree that you've demonstrated. Yes. What was your reaction to American Horror Story's use of her? It was uh, Ryan Murphy uh, has stolen my life in so many ways. Okay, uh, I want I want I love more. him. I love him dearly. Uh, he's an amazing man, um, I th- and I think he's one of the most valuable creative gay men um, people. Period. But uh-huh. gay men certainly working in television today um, or ever really. But that was I love. All, I knew Coven was going to be great even before I knew there'd be Stevie Nicks stuff in it. Because I was like, yes, we've all been from the very first season. Though everyone was like, it's a new theme every year, which means at some point we're getting witches. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. you knew at some point you were getting witches. You know, Dan and I had said at some point we're getting a mental hospital or a, you know what I mean, or a prison or a creepy like, carnival. Yeah, yeah you're exactly. gonna get like we all know the archetypes we're gonna get, and that's exciting. We knew at some point there's gonna be aliens. I'm sure there'll be an entire alien-based <laughs> season at some point. Um, you know, there'll be some kind of summer camp slasher season. Yeah, I'm surprised they haven't done yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, we haven't had, I mean, you know, there's enough themes there. Yeah. So when Coven was coming out, I knew it was amazing. When things started leaking that she was going to appear, because she never does TV like that. Right. Because she cannot act. <laughs> so she can barely even perform in a music video. It really is. She's terrible at it. And she'll tell you, <laughs> she's like, I cannot. I can just fucking be Stevie Nicks. I can't do anything else. You can't. If you want me to walk across the room while like saying words, it's going to, I'm going to trip five times. <laughs> I'm an idiot like that. So. I knew if she was going to appear, my assumption was going to be they're going to say that she's some kind of witch or they're literally just going to have it be like they go to a concert. You know, they're going to do it like back. I mean, she appeared on like, what was it? Days of Our Lives or All My Children in like the early 80s where it was literally like they went to see Stevie Nicks perform. Really? And oh. she like sang a number and then they said <laughs> hi to her after and that was her appearance on the soap opera. That's so it's like it's going to be something like that. Like one of the – something's going to happen at a Stevie Nicks concert and we're going to get – so then when she was going to be a character, when I found out she was going to be in, in like two episodes or something in multiple scenes, I knew it would be great. I didn't know um, – like I knew she'd do Rhiannon because it's the witch song. And then when I saw Misty Day, the character, I was like, OK, so there's a Stevie-influenced character. When he had her do Has Anyone Written Anything for You, which is the piano ballad she does at the end of that main episode she's in with um, uh, Jessica Lang, you know, having just kind of gone through a lot. And then she's – Stevie hasn't even done that song live that much since probably the late 80s, early 90s. It used to um, always be the encore number um, for a while. Uh, And so she just hasn't done a period. And to hear her just sitting at a piano now with old lady Stevie voice, you know, whereas like the original version, Mm -hmm. you know, is Wild Heart, which is a different, a much younger Stevie voice. To me, it was just a wonderful gift to the fans. And I know Ryan Murphy's a huge Stevie Nicks fan. So I knew there'd be that kind of fandom in there that it wouldn't uh-huh. just – so um, when – but even at the beginning of the season when they kept saying like to become the uh, the Supreme, you have to pass the test of the Seven Wonders. It even took me a while to connect like I'm like, oh, he's going to use Seven Wonders of the song. Like at first I thought that was the reference. Uh-huh, that, that, right, right. But so to open like I think it was the finale episode yep. with he filmed a mm-hmm. shortened version of a new Seven Wonders music video. Yep. <laughs> and she re-recorded the vocal. Here, God, I'm such a fucking nerd. That's crazy great. Person. I have the isolated vocal of oh. her re-record. 
And then I had a friend isolate the vocal from the original recording. And her vocal's actually stronger on the re-record. Oh, All nice. these years, like 25 years later or whatever. Frankly, because she's now, she does care about her voice. She vocally trains. Uh-huh. She, you know, by the time she was recording Seven Wonders with Fleetwood Mac, she was, you know, still chain smoking. She used to be a huge smoker, which she never really talks about. But that actually probably did more damage than the cocaine mm-hmm. because she was smoking like, multiple packs of like menthol oh, yeah. and cigarettes a day and singing. So to now be years later and have recovered a little bit from that and kind of, you know, it was, but it was just fascinating because it was, you know, she was hits notes in seven wonders that she usually doesn't even try in concert anymore because mm-hmm. she's preserving the old lady, witch voice. <laughs> and so it was kind of a made, but yeah, that was to me like, uh, you know, for uh, for problems creatively that I've had with our critiques, I would say not problems that I've had with other seasons of that. Yes, show. of course. Um, Coven to me is the perfect season, yeah. not even just kind of as a horror story or storytelling, but because it like has every bell and whistle I'd ever want on earth. Mm-hmm. Like personally, well, for it's us, like he made a TV show Well, for us. The big thing was they were basically doing the X-Men. Yeah, yeah. The, everyone the, had a power. Everyone had a was, specific power. It was the closest we've ever had, yeah, other yeah, than yeah. the TV and the movies, of course. Right. But in a way that was more, I think, well, in branching out into a different to show the impact of, yeah. of the X Men and what and the, that that idea, right? Mutation slash supernatural powers, but the idea that everybody has one, yeah, and each one is unique, yeah. And then they're the outcasts in the community, but they're right? Trying to be no, there were. Pl- I mean, there were obviously a ton of feminist and you know LGBT yep, themes yep, in that exactly. season. It was great. I mean, so I, that's good. I'm, I'm really glad to hear that you But yeah, she TV. never does TV, too. Yeah. And she never does movie, and she never does any of that. She doesn't I mean, really need to. So the mm. idea of then getting her in there and getting yeah. her. And it just, it made me so fucking mad at that brilliant actress who played who played Misty Day, who I love. Yes. Because not only was I like, you got to spend like a week on set with Stevie, intimately hanging out. And Stevie loved her because like loved her character and love. She's like, yay, like, the, I, the you know, Ryan knew to make the character character that like you know loved me to be like an earth witch and like uh-huh. have her be the healer and uh-huh. i'm like oh god you fucking hit me she ends up in hell forever. but she, yeah exactly she ends up in hell dissecting frogs Ooh. but uh stevie gave her a real shawl not uh. the one they use on tv but she gave her one of her shawls that oh had like god. she it used the entire last tour she'd been on huh. as like a love gift at the and i was like you bitch <laughs> you're stealing my life <laughs> Like, I just am like, because that would be if somebody gave me a TV show to make, I would immediately start thinking, like, how can I work Stevie Nicks into this? Of course. Of course. Because now that's just about me. That's me getting something out of this show other than money and fame. Like, (laughs) I just need to be friends with Stevie Nicks. Love it. That's fantastic, though. I... I'd almost forgotten about um, has anyone ever written anything for you? In, I know in it's there. such a great song. I, that honestly is one of my favorite songs. I love that song that deeply, she deeply, that deeply. she does. When I got the Enchanted box set, yeah, I hadn't heard it before that, and once I once I got to that portion, I was like, because it's like at the end of I think like the second disc, or it's, it's right, it's kind of in the middle of everything, and. I was like, that's awesome. And then when they, they did Seven Wonders, they did all the seven they and she did yeah. has anyone ever written it? Yeah, yeah, I, was yeah. Like, I was like, No, oh. it was perfect. And it was the perfect song for him to I mean story it works well in the actual it show. Did, yeah. But the genius is you can tell Ryan is a is a real Stevie Nicks devotee. Yeah. A child of the Crystal Visions, which is what they call themselves. <laughs> uh, what we call ourselves. 
uh, is the fact that um, it's a very well-known Stevie song amongst Stevie Nicks right. fanatics, but not to the general public. Yeah, so it's, yeah. you know what I mean? And so the fact we all knew he'd use Rihanna and, you know, but to not use Dreams, Stand Back, you know what I mean? Like, and, like to, you know, to actually use... And even Seven Wonders was, you know, a moderate hit for Fleetwood Mac and it certainly still gets a lot of radio play, you know, and then he built that into the actual storyline, the song meaning something. But to use Has Anyone Ever Written Any was like the truly, I mean, for a long time, the, the encore number for her and like such a powerful song and such. A, and so it's so well known amongst the fans that it was I feel it was also his little tip of the hat to like, I want the fa- Stevie fans to know I'm a real Stevie fan. Of course, because Stevie Nicks is one of those people. Everybody goes, oh, my God, I love her. I'm a huge fan. And then I go like, what's your favorite song? And they're like, stand back or dreams <laughs> or landslide, which are all great songs. But, you know, if you're a hardcore fan of a band or a musician or an artist or, mm-hmm. you know, you, it's never that that's no. your favorite yeah. thing. Usually, usually it's something. It's something utterly obscure. A deep it's cut. The, something yeah, where it's, it's, like, the, it's the B-side that ne- got released in Japan yep. that never got out anyplace yep. else. So yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's I would I wish he, I wish he could do a witch season every year and could force her to uh, say <laughs> words and be an actress. I, I wish she could bring characters back without then immediately killing them all. I know, right? Yeah, yeah. Or uh, what's your name? Queenie. Queenie. I know. So sad. Oh. Still always killing the black person first in the horror movie. (laughs) So you said you were writing a book. I kind of want to know more about about what that is because that sounds amazing. It's called My Big Gay Life. Okay. uh, Which is my hashtag on the social medias. Uh, (laughs) On the interweb. Yeah, but it's basically just a memoir. It's a collection of stories of my life. Um, I got pressured into doing it by various friends and fans Mm -hmm. um, and started writing it right after because world's dumbest and um joan passed away at uh ended up passed away at uh roughly like a very fairly brief period of time um so i also suddenly had this huge kind of gap in my schedule that was traumatic and kind of just like oh okay because uh, too much downtime in this business is not a good thing mentally. Yeah. So friends were like, "You've always been saying, we've always been saying to you, and fans have always said, oh, I'd love to read a book of the actual stories, like the things you post and the crazy stories you allude to and stuff that ends up on stage in the act. We'd like to really hear the story. And I've always said, of course, I'll do it at some point and start writing all those stories down. But, you know, I'm a little busy making a living. Um, so when I wasn't busy making a living anymore and there was a lot of free time it started initially as just that kind of project to fill time and to have something to have a lovely piece of merchandise and give something out to the people and see what happens from it but frankly it was also just to kind of get me out of my own head while i was waiting for you know the next chapter and 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 phase of projects to come along um but about halfway through writing it um me and my editor actually scrapped a bunch of it to use for later books maybe um and actually made it a significantly a more significant book than it was initially going to be initially it was going to be you know 12 or 15 stories just crazy shit like childhood crazy shit too but just fun crazy sex drugs rock and roll um and that's still probably two-thirds of the book but we went back and then did a third of kind of real stories, like some of the kind of deeper, more emotional, needy of course. shit, adult stuff that um, my uh, we wrote one chapter like that. That was a chapter I really just wanted to do personally. And my editor was really blown away by it and was like, you know that you could actually make a book now that's more that instead of it being like a Chelsea Handler book. Or like a Tina Fey, Amy Poehler, just boop, boop, boop. It could actually be more of a David Sedaris, Augustine yeah. Burroughs, 
um, you know, there there could really be some some literary uh, meat on the bones, uh-huh. and not just have it be like a dessert. Yeah, it could be a full meal instead of just pie. Right. Um, so we went back and kind of revamped it. So it's taken longer. I was initially thinking we'd have the book out in like six months, but it's more looking. It'll be like just under a year oh, wow. uh, uh, now, and that's. Uh, but I think it's been a, a good thing, and I'm significantly more invested in it now and prouder of it than I was initially going to be. Um, as far as just, you know, if I just throw together 12 stories about hookers and blow, that's fun, but it's not really, you know, like, it's nothing new to me. <laughs> that's just Tuesday. Nice. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be really fun. I'm gonna really excited. Um, we did a, uh, uh, you know, an Indiegogo Kickstartery thing for it, uh, which was also helpful to be able to let me take some time in the beginning to not frantically like book gigs and mm-hmm. like, you know, the, the brunt of it was kind of laid out in about a two month period where I was able to focus exclusively on it. And then now I've been, we've been rewriting and polishing and changing trajectories. And, and so, so it's August is really, is the goal and the, the legitimate it'll be done. It's, it's really almost done now. Now we're just in the laborious stage of chapter ordering and then, with the chapter order comes rewrites because if you know yeah. if I thought I was introducing someone in one chapter but now that chapter comes later uh-huh. I need to introduce them when I first talk about them now in chapter three instead of chapter six all kind of booky things like that but yeah it's been really fun and I think it'll be a good read if you know me and you know my work it'll be a really interesting read um, and if you don't know my work it's also like it's the perfect balance we feel between like a fun salacious beach read with celebrity gossip and crazy stories about sex drugs and rock and roll but then also like a legitimately written book that even if you don't know me or any of the players involved or really care about that kind of show businessy stuff there's it's I've worked hard to make it a well-written book as well. Like, to not just make it like, this is a great story because it talks about a celebrity getting drunk and arrested. Like, I'm also (laughs) writing an actual book. So this will go to your backers, and then you're going to publish Yeah, it goes out to them, and then, yeah, it'll be be on all the platforms, all the Amazons and the Barnes & Noble. You're going to do a spoken? You're going to do an audiobook? We're we're talking about doing it. I mean, it's not – I'm actually talking with a very good friend of mine who uh, is in PR and marketing, actually, in, in the film industry, but because of that has a ton of connections. So he actually is really excited about it and just as a personal favor wants to set up a series of like daytime TV talk show interviews and, you know, blah, and blah, 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 blah. blah. And we are just about now that it's almost out um, about to start talking to, especially some of the um, LGBT bookstores, the actual legitimate kind of community bookstores about getting it on their shelves, but about also then tying in, a, a book tour because I can tag that on to then also comedy appearances. So yep, yep, yep. you can come during the afternoon on, you know, Friday and Saturday or Sunday and do the reading and get the book. And I'll also be in town actually performing that night. So if I can tag those all together, it makes it both logical for me to travel that much for both mm-hmm. as opposed to like, you know, I'm not really a proven author yet. So doing like a book tour book tour is like a whole other part of the industry. Um, Hopefully that book will, this book will change it. But because I am a working comedian, the advantage is I have a whole series of shows I can do that. I'll already be in town. Why don't we do like a book reading and actually get it out there? And, and it'll be available at all my shows. It'll be available on the gay boats. It'll be, I will always have a copy of the book with me. I'm sure from this point on right next to the, uh, 
Semen cookbook. The Lou, the semen cookbook, <laughs> and then uh, Brad Locally Lube. We're working on a yam-based lubricant. <laughs> Are you? Uh, that would be. No, I'm not I, working <laughs> on a lubricant. It's just the possibilities of uh, vegetable-infused lubricants. Lubricant. Well, yeah, we need to find something as slick as silicone, but yeah. that's not basically putting a breast implant in my asshole <laughs> every time I do it. I did love. This is totally whatever. I was going through your Instagram earlier, and the <laughs> picture. That you took in this bathroom here with your douche. Oh yeah, my ice sitting coffee. there. Oh my yeah, with my yeah my uh, yeah my douche was on the counter. I was aware that was there when I took the photo. I, sometimes I take those photos to see how many people will notice. <laughs> One person asked too. They're like, uh, "Do you douche out before every show?" <laughs> you never. I was know. like, "Well, you got to be prepared. Exactly. You don't know what's going to happen." Get a good Boy Scout. I'll tell you. <laughs> Wash out your asshole. What cruises do you have coming? Because I know you, you were. Yeah, I have a busy you, you summer. It. I have my summer in Europe. Uh, every summer I go to Europe with Atlantis and now with RSVP, which is great. So um, there are sister companies now for people who don't know Atlantis events and RSVP vacations. They're the two big all gay cruises. Uh, we charter uh, we charter out entire ships and resorts to do all gay events. We bring in all our own entertainers. We bring in our own team. We bring it. They're really amazing. They're really great. They're basically like gay summer camp. Um, for the summer camp we always would have loved and never got, except we're all now in our thirties, forties and fifties. So we can fuck, Um, (laughs) and the camp counselors don't get mad. So, uh, the first will be the, uh, RSVP riverboat, which is kind of amazing. We go from uh, Budapest to Prague, uh, on the Avalon expression, which is like a luxury riverboat. It's like 160 guests. It's very kind of, uh, exclusive and it's gorgeous. We go up the Danube. So that's going to be really interesting, too, because you get to go to a lot of really unique little places as opposed to just kind of the big hits, which is usually what you hit on a cruise ship as you hit, you know, these major ports that can hold a 3000 person cruise ship. Uh, And then but directly after that, I head to Venice and we get on uh, the first Atlantis Mediterranean cruise, which is on the Holland America Westerdam or Westerdam or Eurodam. One of the dams, one of those (laughs) dam boats. Uh, And that goes Venice to Barcelona. And then I spend nine days with friends uh, relaxing in Europe, which translates to drinking heavily uh, during the day. And then we do, uh, for Atlantis again, we do uh, Barcelona to Athens on the Celebrity Equinox. So that'll be, I think it comes up in total to something like 42 days, 45 days I'll be in Europe and do like, I'll be in like 30 cities and probably like a dozen or 20, 15 or 20 countries. Do you yeah, book shows during that? No. Okay, so I mean, most of those places, to be a comedian, to perform internationally, like American comedians can perform in, you know, England and Ireland and Australia yeah. um, and and that Canada and, you know, maybe Mexico City or something like that. But for the most part, you know, I mean, if you're huge, if you're kind of a rock star comedian like a Chris Rock, I know he's done shows in like Berlin and France. But again, yeah, that's more about they want to see a celebrity comedian and they know all his work and they know his movies and they know um, you usually have to tour, obviously, within your own native language and also culturally to an extent. Sure. Like I've certainly performed in Australia, which I love um, and England, which I love and Ireland, which I love. Um you know, but other than that, you also start getting into just like stylistic differences yeah. and cultural yeah, yeah, yeah. differences that you just don't. Um, you know, comedy is a very familiar art form. It's it's usually very much about the everyman and mm-hmm. connecting with someone and making someone feel like 
they represent you in some way, shape, or form, as opposed to music and art and film, which can be the exact opposite. It can be about going to an entirely different world that you don't understand, that you don't, that feels alien to you. For comedy, you really have to have that connection. Um, so yeah, the cruises, it's, I literally just get to kind of be a fabulous tourist and see the world, um, and get paid to do it. And then when we're on board the ships, I do, um, two shows, one at the beginning of the week, one at the very end of the week. Wow. And I wrap up the whole week at the end of the week. I just do commentary on the cruise. It's a great gig. It's an amazing, it is (laughs) the greatest, every heterosexual comedian I know is profoundly jealous of me. Um, and literally, I've literally had friends who have been like, who have admitted to me, like other comics who have said, we've had to hide you. I will hide you from my feed when you go on these cruises. And then like, uh, then like wait like a week or two and then on, you know, break, follow you again because I can't see photos it's of like all the a- most amazing places in the world. And then these giant parties. I mean, cause Atlantis and our people bring on like lasers and all these screens and we turn the pool decks into these giant outdoor nightclubs, which every night has a different theme, like a drastically different theme. So, and all the guests bring crazy costumes and it's two, three, four, five thousand, you know, gay men, uh, you know, and seven lesbians of, uh, (laughs) that's true. Uh, but of every age, shape, size, like it's every gay bar put together. Like it is summer camp like that. It's not like a gay bar or a nightclub because gay bars and nightclubs, like all nightclubs and bars are themed. Are, yep. There's a bear bar. There's yep. a lesbian bar. There's a, and everybody goes there, but it's predominantly this. There's a Cuban nightclub. There's, you know, a jazz nightclub. There's, yep. you know, and so there's a dance club. We are everything. And so it is, like, just to see that many gay people all together, like, meeting each other from all around the country and the world, you know, like, making new friends that, you know, now every city I go to literally in the world, I know someone. Like, and usually know them fairly well, like, know them because we've kind of been, you know, you really remember someone when you, you know, tour Rome with them for eight hours and then have dinner with them later that night and then go to a party later that week, like... You may not see each other for two years, but when you see each other, you have these phenomenal memories Mm -hmm. that, you know, usually you only have with people you've known for decades. So, yeah, it is. It's definitely the best part of my job as far as like personal experience. I mean, it's it's they're great paying gigs. And obviously I do this for a living. So that's important. But those are the jobs where it's also so much more Mm -hmm. like it's not just I love making television. I love being on stage. But I mean, very few times do those also include, you know, going to, I mean, I think I've been to like 30 or 40 countries, hundreds of cities, you know, in the last six years with Atlantis and the last three years with RSVP. So that's, I mean, and I've seen places that I would never uh, have the time to go to on my own, have the financial ability. Sure. Certainly at this point in my life to have seen all of these things, um, you know, and, and places that, you know, we were just in French Polynesia. We were just doing a, a cruise through French Polynesia on the Oceania Marina, which is the most beautiful ship and wonderful ship I've ever been on. And it was seven days, nine days, ten days, something like that. But it was, you know, we started and ended in Tahiti and Bora Bora and Morea and all. I mean, truly the most beautiful places I've ever seen on Earth that, you know... I wouldn't have even been able to afford the round trip airfare right? to, to fly. Like that would have been my annual like personal vacation me time budget more or less beyond this ship that, you know, was, I mean, just beyond luxury, luxury. Like it wasn't, you know, I mean, I'll say it cause we don't really use them, but it wasn't a carnival cruise line. Uh, you know, I mean, it was just, you know, every room had like a Butler, everybody had a balcony. Like it was oh. just 
stunning. And it was just – I was in the most beautiful place in the world. It was a smaller ship, so it was like, you know, 700 guys, 800 guys of like the nicest fun. You know, your own community. Like it's just nice to be around people who all have similar life experiences. There's a camaraderie there. And then you're seeing the most beautiful places on earth. And I'm getting paid to be there. I mean, there's not – it's literally – it is like when people get jealous of like travel writers. Sure. You know what I mean? Like it's my job to scout locations for, you know, Hilton's next resort. It's like the – I. That is one of those fuck you jobs, I call them, where Mm -hmm. people just are like, oh, my God, that's great. Fuck you. (laughs) I started this interview really liking you. (laughs) I now hate you. I will accept that hatred. (laughs) I understand. I hated everyone who uh, performed for Atlantis before and RSVP before I was a performer there. So I understand that level of hatred (laughs) completely. It's all right. It's all right. This interview just will never go to air. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> we're just going to edit all your curse words together and then say they were about dead babies. <laughs> Some kind of Tourette's. Yeah. Yeah. You just started yelling at dead babies. It was the weirdest thing. Alligators <laughs> in Florida. Um, <laughs> so for those of our listeners out there that don't follow you sure. on the interwebs. Yes. Is, you can find me everywhere. So my last name is a pain in the ass. Uh, but I will not change it because uh, I like it and I like my family, which is a rarity. Uh, well, most of them. Uh, some of them. But uh, actually, I like all the people with the last name locally. There's some people with the other family names that are a pain in the ass. But that's why I won't take that name. Uh, it's uh, – yeah, so Brad Locally, it's L-O-E-K-L-E is the easiest way. The fun part is because there's not that many gay comedians on earth. If you literally type Brad Gay Comedian <laughs> into Google, you will find uh, I me. Have... I will literally be the first and like only thing other than uh, Brad Garrett, who's not gay, <laughs> but who was uh, the brother on uh, Everybody, uh, Loves, Everybody Raymond. Loves Raymond. Oh, yeah, but because yeah. he's one of the only other f- uh, famous Brads that's like funny that is associated with comedy. Is uh-huh. like Brad Pitt doesn't come up for me as soon as you put in comedian, right? Because she ain't really that funny. Um, <laughs> she don't have to be. Mm-hmm. But so if you type in Brad Gay comic literally into Google, all you millennials and even you senior citizens who have now learned how to use the Google. As uh, long as you say please and thank you. Yeah, to you will Google. find me. But and I'm Brad locally on every platform that I'm on. So there's no I'm it's not like, you know, funny gay comic Brad.com. It's Bradlocally.com, Brad Locally on Instagram, Brad Locally on Twitter, Brad Locally on Facebook. Oh, so, um, so easy. It's, yeah. That's am, the benefit of having a uh, Exactly. A, 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 yeah, that's the thing name. is if you type in anything even remotely close to locally too, I'll usually pop up. Um, and you can find me. Yeah, and uh, my website's always updated, so those tour dates are correct. And uh, yeah, I love the social medias. If you're gonna follow me on Facebook, just so you know, I probably can't accept your Facebook friend request because of the limits on Facebook. Uh, but you can follow me, and I have my Facebook page specifically set up so followers literally can do everything that friends can do. Oh boy! So by following me, you can see all my posts, comment on my posts, you can message me. Um, there really is no difference. Um, face, Facebook allows you to make followers like very removed from you. I set yeah. it in the opposite direction. So oh. just so you know, don't be shocked. If, and if you just click friend request, it also makes you follow me. Yeah. Yes. Yep. So you're fine. I know a lot of people like the Facebook, but Facebook is the only one that limits usually yep. how many people you can have. So, uh, But other than that, that's the easiest way to find me. And the book will be on my website. It'll all be through Brad Locally. Uh, I think we did buy the website, mybiggaylifethebook.com. Um, 
because some other asshole owns my biggaylife.com and has never done anything with it. So we're trying uh, to buy that website from them. I hate when that happens. I know. And then they're like, I mean, it's fine. I, you know I, what? There's an actual business now. Before we go, I just this is hilarious to me. There's an actual business of companies who make money negotiating getting that website name for you, so that the because literally it's like we charge you, uh-huh. you know, like this flat fee, but we'll guarantee you will get them. Like if somebody's. Because a lot of people buy – there's many website names I've bought over the years just because it's cheap to buy a website name. Yeah. You might want to do something yep. with it and you realize it's available. So you're like, let's just nab it for 99 cents for the year. Mm-hmm. But then there are – and so – and then if someone approaches you, you say, great, give me 100 bucks and up. Sure, that's fine. But then if somebody like Googles you and they're like, oh, he's on TV. He's got tons of money. So they're like, we'd like $10,000 for that. Way. It's like, no. But there's now actually companies who are literally like, negotiate. we will go in and negotiate like debt you know, consolidation to get your website wow. for, you know, 50% less. I'm like, my God, this is really, I mean. First world problem. Yeah, business is business, but it makes me laugh that now there's even third parties who are doing that. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, the book will be available on my website and on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and all those online platforms. It'll be available digitally and actual real books if you still buy I'm, real I'm, books. I'm waiting for you to do an audiobook so that way you can just that's yell the at other me thing through. everyone has said as soon as the book is out are you going to do an audiobook and which to me i'm just like isn't it enough i finished the book <laughs> jesus christ give me a month off people i'm fat and i'm lazy and i'm drunk a lot of the time you should do it drunk i know that would actually be oh my god that yes. would be funny you'd hear snorting sounds in the background every half an hour and then i'd read really fast for a while and then go off on a tangent that's not in the book that's It'd be like a performance audiobook. Yes. That's actually not the worst idea. Seriously. We may have just come up with something today. Because that fantastic. would be people be like, the book's good, but the audiobook uh-huh. suddenly is like the number one seller on aisle, like outsell Beyonce. Because they're like, <laughs> we're pretty sure he's doing drugs. <laughs> but it's a audiobook, so we can't maybe he's faking it, but it sounds real and he's acting like it's real. Oh my god. It'll totally be real. Um no, but I probably will do an audiobook at some point. We'll see how the book does initially. Um, and if the book does really well, I will probably do it. And if the book doesn't do really well, I'll probably do it just because it might help the book out. But yeah, exactly. a lot of people have said it would almost be like a comedy album. Exactly. It would be the crossover yeah. between doing a comedy album and the comedy and book. You could even take like your more serious segments and send those to like This American Life or The Moth or whatever who do that kind of Or what would be too. really cool is if for the serious chapters – I mean there's there's a lot of funny in the serious chapters too. But the like – maybe three or four chapters that have some real kind of personal meat and heft in them and real shit happening in your life other than hookers and blow. It'd be funny if I could literally get, I mean, I could never get her, but if I could get like Helen Mirren to read, <laughs> like the book is like totally crazy and uh-huh. I'm drunk and high and just telling stories. And then it's like, I'm 12 years old and I'm sitting in my room. <laughs> my mother has not spoken to me in a fortnight. <laughs> like literally it would just be so, it's surreal to be like, Wait, is that Ian McKellen? <laughs> Why is he? Wait, what? Yep. And then you'd know. You totally you'd be like, McKellen. if you're in the car, just flipping through, you'd be like, no, I don't, I don't have time to cry and be mad at the world. <laughs> Flip to where you hear snorting. That's the, that's the good chapter. I, I, I would totally. <laughs> yeah, I, I I'm think in. we just found. I, maybe I'll be the first person to stop writing an actual book altogether, <laughs> and from this, after this first book, all my books will just be audiobooks. Oh, I'm in. I'm totally. We're going to reinvent I'm the s- industry. I'm yes. Sold. Disruption. Well, and it's it's great for like somebody like me who works at home. 
I'm on the computer a lot of times. Right. So, um, like Ophira Eisenberg. Oh, I've known Ophira a long time, and I love. We are old friends. Oh my god, she is. Isn't she amazing? amazing. Isn't she? She was just here in Orlando um, a couple of months ago. They did a taping of "Ask Me Another" at the Bob Carr, and um, we we did the the meet and greet. Went through the the long ass line to get our picture, and you have like literally. 25 seconds yeah. right you don't have a lot of time it's not like hey let's just chat for a bit no and i was like all right what are you guys doing later you know let's go out and get some drinks she's like all right i'm like i'll i'll shoot you an email with my number blah, blah, blah. i get him i get an email or um i get a text message like three text messages in a row like that's how long this one text message was it broken into three <laughs> and she's like i she's like i'm so sorry i was gonna call you we went back to the hotel she's like it's the first time I've been without the baby. Oh, I know. The ba- babies I, ruin everything. She, <laughs> her and Jonathan and I have talked. Because Jonathan, her husband, is the sweetest guy on earth and so adorable. Every, I mean, because, you know, all the female comics of New York do all the gay clubs and know all the gay comics. It's just that straight sure, gay guy connection. So the show I ran there for years, she would headline it regularly. I mean, I'd say probably every, you know, six weeks she was there. And so, uh, we, I mean, we really do go back a very long way to when we were both like kids in comedy. And she's been with Jonathan a very long time. They've yeah. been a, they've been a great couple. But every gay male comic has been in love with like I mean, I remember when they got engaged and we did a show with her and her best friend Allison Castillo used to run a show downtown in New York, and it was like the engagement show. They'd got engaged, you know, like a couple weeks earlier, and now it was the monthly show. And so we were gonna, and myself and uh, Keith Price, who's a great uh, gay comic in New York, who uh, also used to be on Sirius Radio with Larry Fleck. He was his his permanent co-host and um we were both doing the show and both me and keith both of our sets were like we're so happy we're so proud and listen if it doesn't work out jonathan if it ever if anything ever happens to afira if she should fall down a flight of stairs later tonight we will be there to comfort your adorable adorable like you know blue eyes with dark hair your your sexy sephardic jew face like we will just we will, we will take care of you jonathan <laughs> you beautiful sexy sweet kind guy who will cuddle you you know what i mean like i just i mean it's true like and over is like every gay man in new york has wanted to be with my husband since the, she goes that's when i knew when we were dating she was like as a boyfriend i was like he might be a keeper because gay dudes clearly want to marry him and have babies with him so if that's like that's the gay good housekeeping seal of approval yes, is like exactly. uh, and it's true they're an amazing couple and their baby is goddamn adorable but the minute they had it she and i were writing to each other a bunch and um and you know she was up late nights and stuff and she was just like, listen, Brad, I never intended on being a mother. I don't know how this whole fucking thing's going to go. Pretty sure I'm going to be fairly hands off. <laughs> One of those kind of like moms who raises a kid to be independent real young. I'm like, that's how my mom raised me. It works out. And I'm like, oh, fear, there's no one way to do it. Like, do, because, you know, the, the movement in entertainers and artists when you become a mom or a dad is to suddenly become martha stewart hyper like i changed my whole life and i won't be on set unless you know my kids out of school and and if that's what you want to do that's fine and if you have the money and privilege and position of power in your career to do that that's fine but the truth is you know you know there's no one right way to raise a kid and plenty of overly attentive parents with lots of money and opportunities end up with fucked up kids because people are their own people. And so we had a lot of talks where I was like, listen, I was raised in a very kind of non-traditional household in a lot of respects. I, you know, uh, was very close in, uh, in, in raising, uh, I have triplet cousins who, when they were little kids, like I, I took care of them a bunch when they were babies. And then when they were, you know, like in kindergarten, 
in first grade. I was around a lot. I lived with them for a while as like a nanny. Um, and so it's, you know, like I was like, there's no, I mean, and we're just, we've always been a cavalier family of, so I'm like, girl, bring the baby. Don't bring the baby. I'm like, baby doesn't even fucking know you're there until it's like five. (laughs) Like, trust me, the kid does not go. I'm like, go on the road now. Nobody gives a fuck. I mean, Elton John's doing it. Now that the kids are getting older, he's performing less and less because he's like, they're, they know when I'm gone and they're in school. Yeah. Like, you know, when they're toddlers, it doesn't matter where we are in the world. Both your dads are here. You know, the, the maid's here. Like, everything's fine. We brought all your toys with you. You know what I mean? They're like, but now they're in school, so they can't come with me. And if I go away for six months to Vegas, you know, FaceTime only does so much, you know? And so yeah. it's, you know, I'm like, yeah, don't worry. When he's like five or six, start, uh, start worrying. But now, just like, I don't, you know, go drinking, do whatever. But she is, she's exhausted. She's yeah, exhausted. She, she's been in LA numerous times, and it was, I'm so rarely there when any of my out of town friends are there. And she and Jonathan and I have tried to find time yeah. to get together. And they're just like, yeah. you know, we yeah, say they, come to the event, but we're never going to see each other at the event. So that's weird. Right. And then after the event, there's nine after things for the event. Yep. And then, you know, we've now been all been awake for 12 hours, and we have a kid. And yeah, I'm like, oh, I get it, honey. I'm like, I'll see when he's 10 <laughs> yeah she's seven she's like I, she's like i went to go change and was gonna go you know she's like i want to get get drinks she's like i laid down and i woke up but oh yeah no, jonathan, jonathan and i talked at one point he's like i'm gonna try to get her out tonight and i'm he was texting me and various other you know a dozen other old school new york friends who now all live in la he's like i'm gonna try to put together an impromptu get together he's like it's just he goes but we have to play it by ear he goes because brad we're so you know we all have the best in-. and i'm like honey i'm I am the queen of ghosting out of an event early <laughs> and the queen of being like, Oh girl, something came out. Oh uh-huh. girl. She got real busy. <laughs> she got real busy. Things happened. My plane crashed. I couldn't possibly make it. Uh, and one last, one last yep. little anecdote or little mention I want to do before, uh, before we let you go. So when you were here for gay days, yes. Right after, yes. I want to say it was like Monday or Tuesday, we have a mutual friend in New York Uh-oh. who had posted on your Uh-oh. Facebook and um, Patrick Hamilton. Oh, yeah. He had posted on your Facebook page, like, right, literally, like, a day or two after Gay Days had ended. I was so weird. He was either going to be a terrifying person or someone I don't actually know that's just a fan. Because <laughs> people be like, this guy was on your Facebook. I'm like, that don't mean anything. Yeah. The, the, the way do know him, yeah. the way he phrased everything, the way that he talked about it, it, right. it really it, it he led was a regular in my it. show at therapy. He used to come to my Sunday night show all the time, and that was the thing he had made. He had posted on your your page um, something along the lines of like, "I really missed like you know, oh, having like, you yeah, at see, therapy." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I saw it, and we've um, over the last couple of years, we haven't exactly always been in each other's you know right gravitational area, right. Um, but it popped up like it, it, it the post popped up and i think it was because we had just become friends on facebook right and um and i i i saw that post and i was like and i just had to rub it and i was like haha that's because we had him here in orlando <laughs> <laughs> see brad locally bringing people together and then tearing them apart <laughs> Well, it, he's he's done a lot of amazing activism work up in New York, and yeah, with uh, yeah, yeah. with the Pulse shooting. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure he's such a good soul, such a good guy. Yeah. He's always one of those fans that surprises me the most because he's such like a like a kind, sweetheart, and such a gentle person. And I'm not. 
and my work certainly would not reflect. So I'm always fascinated when like the people who are like the milk of human kindness are huge fans of mine. Because <laughs> I'm like, do I represent the part of your personality that doesn't exist or that you are working very hard to suppress? Because <laughs> I'm the devil. And you're like this nut. Like he's always doing something good. He's always got something nice to say. He's And I'm exactly the opposite. <laughs> so he's one of those ones where I'm always like, oh, this is so sweet because we have nothing in common, <laughs> like personality type wise. But yeah. you are like the nicest guy on earth that i adore and it makes me giggle that like you love my work so much because my work is so the opposite like i am not the like power of positive thinking life coach stand-up comedian i am exact i i have an entire line of things called misguided memes and you can get them as merchandise like magnets and keychains and stuff that literally have like beautiful like it has like a picture of the ocean and then it just says give up Uh, (laughs) or it says what are some of my other favorites um uh remember anything can happen but most of the time usually doesn't (laughs) uh like just literally all kinds of like just like the exact opposite of like oh look that like in the exact opposite of the kitten hanging onto the tree like hang in there it's exactly jump (laughs) let it go (laughs) i love it i love it from my office i so yeah, so b- b- before we end this, I wanted to, I, I thought it was funny that uh, I for once got to rub it in somebody else's face. I was like, <laughs> he was here with us. And well, clearly I, Orlando has become a second home to me. So <laughs> you guys will, I have a feeling in the coming years, will have a lot more of me than you ever, than any other city usually does. I love <laughs> it, which has been fantastic. Honestly, it's been one of the, one of the most awesome things has been getting to meet you in person back in March and being able to, and the fact that like, even I know it's been a relatively short time between your first your first show and then yeah. last night's yeah, show, yeah. but to even just be able to kind of see you and kind of develop a friendship that and actually feel like it's not just you know not being a sycophant, not being one of those people who's just like oh yeah no I'm friends with that person and then they're like who are you again <laughs> like you know so to, yes we do actually know each other yeah like it, it's it's really been one of those great things and honestly. Please, we we would love to have you back. Oh, thanks, babe. I love multiple, coming. Yeah. Multiple, multiple times. And, and Don and I love each other at Parliament House, and Tim and I have known each other literally for 15 years or more. Um, so, yeah, I will definitely be back. At, we'll make sure to get we're that. We're done for right now. We're going to take a break. I have to go to summer, Europe for the summer. And go whatnot. to Europe for the summer. and then But we'll, I'm sure sometime in the fall or winter, I will definitely be back at Parliament we House. We will set you up for that Tuesday matinee so, yeah, in the theater, yeah, that 3 p.m. show. Do eight shows in four days <laughs> uh, so that everyone can see me. It's it's actually compulsory. It's actually if you uh, live within the uh, city border of Orlando, it would be compulsory to come to one of my shows. There's uh, eight options. Yeah, four yeah. Days. You have to pick one, or you actually uh, you actually get fined on your taxes. <laughs> You're going to get a tax bill. Oh, thanks, so, Obama. Much easier to just come to the show. Everyone. Exactly, exactly. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out. Thank, thank you, you for for the motivational uplifting <laughs> comedy that you provide <laughs> no but seriously i mean that may not be your comedy but the fact that you you know you guys turned a um a planned show into a an impromptu for lack of a better word benefit right. to to help a community down here that oh, you're you. now you're obviously now a part of oh thank you know you. that's really sweet officially we're thank welcoming you. you into our welcoming you. you into our community so well, i'm happy to be here and i'm happy to be a part of that community so thank you well thank you so i think that does it for us okay um, guys bye it, it's been fantastic <laughs> find brad on social media you will not be disappointed um Especially videos about little Noah sitting behind <laughs> him on the plane. Piece of shit. 
Uh, so check him out, Brad Locally, on the social medias and BradLocally.com. Um, so, Brian, say goodbye. Bye-bye. Thank you guys for listening, and we will catch you next time. Blame off. Thanks for listening to Flame On, presented by Nerdy Show. If you like what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes, like and follow us on SoundCloud and Audioboom, or subscribe and stream on Google Play. Flame On was created by Brian Pitter and is engineered by Pat O'Rourke. As listener-supported entertainment, we rely on you to keep this and other shows on the Nerdy Show Network alive by telling a friend or funding the network via Patreon. Any size contribution gets you exclusive outtakes, episodes, and images from across the network, and there's even more perks available. Just head to patreon.com slash nerdyshow. To find out how you or your company can underwrite this or other Nerdy Show programs, visit nerdyshow.com slash sponsorships. For more podcasts, articles, community forums, and other awesomeness, visit nerdyshow.com. And be sure to follow Nerdy Show and Flame On on all your favorite social networks. Follow us at Flame On Podcast on Twitter and Flame On Show on Facebook, Tumblr, and all your favorite gay hookup paths. If it's gay and geeky, we've got you covered. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.